The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel. Hope you've had a good week again and I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. We've had loads of great guests. I won't go through the list, but most of you know who's been played over the last few weeks because you're always emailing or messaging me on Instagram. Today I have someone, and look, every week, I realise this today while I was thinking about it, I say I have a special guest for you. I guess everybody is a special guest because everybody has a different story to tell and a different life experience and how their life has changed. But today I have Quint Boa, who has a creative agency called Shoot You that works with 10 of the Fortune 500 companies doing animations. He is also a psychotherapist working with addiction and anxiety. And he has links to Marion Woodman and Fraser Boa, some of you might know who they are, who were Jungian analysts and authors. And on top of this, his father was an actor in Star Wars and Faulty Towers. But it's all about Quint today. So, hello, Quint. How are you? <laughs> Morning, Daniel. I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. It's great to have you. And we've been trying to tee this up for a little while, so it's great to actually meet you and be able to have a chat. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's really good. I've been you know, following your podcast, and I think it's absolutely fantastic the work you're doing. It's really great to be a part of it. Oh, brilliant! Right. I'll use that in the uh, in the advertising reel. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a glorious day in London. Um, it's uh, it's it's going to be up to eighty degrees in in London. So a little bit of Australia's in in uh, in Kingston, which is great. Wow, where's Kingston? Is that in London? Uh, yeah, it's about eight miles from from Piccadilly, if you like, as the crow flies. Okay. Um, greater London, but yeah. Well, so we've got lots to talk about today because you've done lots of different things and you've had different things happen to you. Would you like to actually tell us a little bit about your business first? Yeah, um, yes, I can tell you about Shoot You. I mean, back in the back in the year two thousand, um, it wasn't possible to edit video on computers, and then um, and then it then it was. Then you could uh, get a computer which could edit video. So you go and shoot the video on a on a mini DV uh, camera, a mini mini DV tape, and you'd edit it on a computer using Premiere one point as a piece of software. And then, um, then what we do is we give it to the client on uh, on a VHS tape, or then we gave it to the client on a CD-ROM, and then we gave it to a client on a DVD. And then in 2007, um, mobile phones came out, and internet started to to really get going, and people wanted it video on um, for, for use for use on the internet. So we we started doing that, and we uh, our client base. Uh, grew from PR companies and and we started getting involved in every area, really construction, IT, healthcare, um, and the financial sector. Uh, And then uh, around 2011, 2012, animation became possible to do animation. So we started to produce um, animation for corporate communications as well. And and that uh, grew and grew uh, and is now um, probably as, as big a part of our offering to, to companies as, 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 uh, as video. And we've grown from, a, from myself and, and my business partner, Matt, into what was my daughter's bedroom in the year 2000 to a company that's now 
uh, got four offices in London, Amsterdam, New York, and, and Los Angeles. And wow. um, yeah, we, we work with key suppliers to 10 of the world's uh, top companies, uh, JP Morgan, um, Honeywell, uh, HP, and, and, and so forth. But it's all business communication. And, and anim- video and animation is, 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 is what we do mostly. We're also sort of go off into virtual reality, augmented reality, electronic brochures, things like that. Wow. But um, yeah, that's that's what that's what happened with with, with the company. Um, but all of that's woven into my own sort of sort of personal sort of struggles with alcohol and and with with animation as a, as a communications resource. But yeah, I mean, before that, my my father was an actor, as you as you mentioned at the top there. So he was uh, his name was Bruce Bower, and uh, and he was a physically large American actor. So he was about six foot five. Um, he was a quarterback for, well, he was a coach for the Calgary Stampeders. So he arrived in London, uh, drunk, <laughs> on a boat back uh, in uh, in the early 60s. And um, he started working as an actor uh, in films uh, uh, for the next sort of 20 years. So, yes, he he did, uh, he got in, into Star Wars. He was uh, Lieutenant Raikkonen in Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, sorry. Uh, he was in Full Metal Jacket. He did um, Faulty Towers. Uh, he was the American who wanted a Wardour salad in Faulty Towers. And uh, as a result of, and, and and a lot more besides, I mean, he's an octopusy and uh, lots of things. If you wanted an American general, you wanted a CIA agent, there was only about three or four physically large Americans in London at that time. Yeah. And, um, and the same with commercials as well. So he did cigarettes for he did sorry commercials for Samarit cigarettes and for for uh, double diamond beer and uh, ski yogurt and and wow. various. So yeah, I mean, it, and the thing about it was that every time he did a day's work, he was paid three thousand quid, and of course, a house at those in those years was about twelve thousand quid. So you only had to do one or two days' work a year, and um, and, and he there was, was still earning more than most people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's that's how I so I, I went into I went into um, the the industry uh, doing film extra work and then acting and then presenting and then voiceovers. And um, because I could do an American accent as well. And um, and then I, I achieved a sort of modicum of success. I got nominated for a BAFTA. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say, though, that it must be a really great thing. I mean, because Faulty Towers is one of those comedies that will go on for another 100 years at least. And it must be nice to have your dad in, I think, one of the best episodes. Yeah, it's I I'm of the generation. I mean, where I can switch on the TV at the oddest times. And there is my father aged, I think, 46 on the screen it's quite disconcerting <laughs> and you think that the people of my generation or our generation who had actors for parents they're never going to go away they're always going to be you know pickled in 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 aspect they're always going to be there yeah um and uh and and that line you know apple celery walnuts grapes you know is is something that that is always going to be out there <laughs> it's a it's it's a funny thing um it's uh, neck and neck between I, just before Bruce died, I, I uh, uh, he wanted to go and see Everest, so we went to Kathmandu, and uh, and people would recognise him, and they'd recognise him either from Empire Strikes Back or they'd recognise him from Faulty Towers, 
but you could see them looking and like looking and looking going and then they'd say oh apple sorry walnuts grapes you know you get in the middle <laughs> of Kathmandu, right and he's like what the hell it's funny. Look, in the studio with the uh, guys I work with with intellectual disability, there's one guy here who is a Star Wars fanatic. Oh, yeah, and when yeah. I was reading through some of your notes today, I read Star Wars and I said, hey, look, this guy, his dad was in Star Wars. Oh, who, who, who? So we looked it up <laughs> and he went, I know him, I know him, meaning that he knew the character. So he was really, really excited. <laughs> yeah, well, to the end, right at the end of, uh, of his life, uh, Bruce uh, had Parkinson's and he had uh, cancer. Uh, so he was quite disabled, but he could still get to the conventions, you know, so he could still sign his wow. name on, on, on pictures. So he made a, a sort of a, a little bit of an income there, but he was still part of the gang. So, you know, Dave Prowse, you know, was, yeah. was around. So he was of Darth Vader and, and all the other, the, the Brits anyway, would be at these conventions. So they were all sort of, you know, personal friends. Um, who we sort of hung out with. And that was a, that was such an amazing time because when Star Wars was made, no one knew it was going to do what it did. I mean, it was the first of the of the major blockbusters. You know, it was that and Jaws that summer that went out. And, yeah, look, um, I was seven at the time and I went to someone's yeah. birthday party and we went to see Star Wars and I couldn't believe it. It was just amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And technically it was a start of Lucasfilm and that's green screen. And and that was really the start also of, of, of certain sorts of animation, you know, stop motion and, and various other sorts of animation, which which led to, to today, you know, there's that you can get a very strong line technically from from Star Wars through to Toy Story, through to um, through to today's uh, VFX and, and all the Marvels and the, the, uh, you, the, the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah. Um, around today and look they're all new ideas aren't they that go on and then help other people produce new ideas yeah uh, and and it was all based on the work of joseph campbell which um which the hero of a thousand faces those those narratives those that basically westerns uh was transposed onto a, a story about that in space and and the idea of there being a force out there of course is very sort of taoist and buddhist and uh, and re and and re rightly resonates with a lot of people. You know, maybe there is a force out there that we can all tune into. I'm sure we're going to come back to this later on in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I shall I shall quote Yoda uh, later on. Look, um, I was going to, and then I couldn't think of a quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's your dad, and uh, I guess also, I mean, because you're a, you're a trained psychotherapist. Did, yeah. did you become that because of your auntie or aunt and uncle and, and how they became, well, did I pronounce it right earlier, Jungian? Jungian, yeah. 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 My aunt Marion was, was uh, Marion Woodman was a, a, a mythopoetic uh, a writer uh, and, uh, and author, Jungian author. So she, she um, started, she was at one point, she was the highest uh, selling uh, non-fiction author in the United States. In wow. Canada, um, yeah, and she she specialised in um, in uh, eating disorders, and her she had a couple of well several big titles. One was called The Pregnant Virgin, the other one, um, well, there were, there were several, and she was working a lot with the body, which was uh, unusual at the time. So she did a lot of work uh, on her workshops with with um, with the body, with with dance, and with uh, with meditation. And then my uncle Fraser, he was a, a Jungian analyst and. Uh, uh, and and he uh, was very connected with a woman called Mary Louis von Franz, and he did a, a series of uh, films uh, called The Way of the Dream, 
because Jungian uh, uh, analytic psychology is all about um, you know, symbolism and individuation and the dark yeah. side of, again, the dark side of uh, the shadow side of human personalities. And uh, uh, and so both Marion and Fraser were, were really wrapped up in that. And, and I mean, that fascinated me then, and it still fascinates me today. I, I think some of those questions that they were asking and, and, and trying to find the answers to are, are really the only questions worth asking, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that prompted me to get involved in, in, in psychotherapy and, um, and, um, and psychology generally when I was um, sort of in the late 90s. So I, I, at the time, I was, I was still doing acting and presenting uh, and working as a camera operator as well. And then uh, I did a, a, a diploma and, a, and an MA, and, and then I studied to become a, what's called a, a UKCP a registered psychotherapist. And then I also got involved in the British Psychological Society in cognitive behavioral therapy and, and, and psychometric testing and what have you. And then I started working um, uh, with employee assistance programs on their, on their uh, uh, sort of corporate, uh, on yeah. a corporate basis, dealing with uh, trauma although at the time it was called critical incident debriefing. And then um, I set up my own private practice. But then what happened was I, I set up Shoot You and, and Shoot You took up, and I also had kids as well. Yeah. And, and that really took up all of my time. And it was really only until the pandemic that, that I started to think, well, hang on, we're doing these animations for Fortune 500 companies to, to put another sort of you know, half a billion dollars on their bottom line why don't we use animation to look at mental health? Because no one can get to a therapist. No one can get to an AA meeting. Um, uh, the, the National Health Service is, in this country anyway, is completely overburdened with, with people um, who, are, who are suffering from uh, addiction or stress or, 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 or uh, depression or, or you know, some domestic violence. The, the the people really on the receiving end of this are kids, are children, and young adults. Yeah. And um, I thought, well, let's 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 do an animation um, that that addresses some of these issues because there didn't seem to be anything online at the time. We're going only back about twenty four months um, that dealt with, for example, anger or, or dealt with depression. Uh, what animations there were were outdated. What animations there were were normally promoting a service. So if you've yeah. got a problem with depression, dial 0800 595 and, and we'll we'll sort it out. You know, and there's no there's no free free you know resource out there that people could look at. Um, and bearing in mind that 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 I would say a large part of the problem with 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 addiction or with stress or anxiety is is that feeling of of, of being out of control of not understanding. Uh, of not of feeling overwhelmed, of not of not being able to understand why you feel that way, and and not gaining access to pro- being able to gain access to professional services to help you understand it. And there's you know there's no way you're going to like you know pick up a series of books to help you understand it because your head is you know not yeah, yeah, in that yeah. area where you can actually access it. Yeah, and that's one of the things about animation is that if you listen to if you watch an animation somehow. Your defenses go down and the information goes in, it sort of bypasses your you know, prefrontal cortex and it goes into the back of your head. And suddenly you're you're emotionally engaged in something and the information is going in. And especially with 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 children, for example, or children and young adults, where they maybe don't have a very high reading age, but they're acting out um, ag- aggressively, for example, you can use an animation 
to address some of the issues in a way that is of their own choosing, in a way that's entertaining and that is relatable. And if there's a healthcare professional sitting with them, you can take the themes of that animation, they've been introduced, and then start working with that. So we produced Understanding Anger with that in mind, and it and it just took off. I mean, you know, it, the we started an Instagram account in order to 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 promote that animation. It's all free of charge, you know. It's just free to air, and and it was like tick 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 tick. They just followers were just going up and up and up, and the comments on there were just like, this is brilliant, you know. Let's and then it got an award, and that kind of turbocharged the whole thing. And we thought, well, yeah. let's do a few more. So so that's what we did. Um, oh, look, I must say, I really liked your one uh, on anxiety for children with the octopus. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much. It really means a lot. Thank you. Oh, look, I, I think uh, it, it just, you know, because people who are anxious have, you know, like their heart feels like it's being squished and having that octopus with all its arms around you. Yeah. I hope I'm yeah. saying the right thing here, but yeah, yeah, it was you, like you the, the octopus was squishing them and they were trying to you know, deal with what yeah. was going on. Well, the, yeah, I mean, this is the thing you can do with animation. You can have a metaphor, and in this case it was an octopus, to describe the anxiety. And the, the octopus is, is there as something that, 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 that can constrain you and can constrict you, but it's also something there that, that has it, wraps its arms around you to protect you and, 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 and to comfort you. Yeah. And, and, and that octopus, uh, I, I didn't think it, the animator thought of that. And the minute he said, I, I thought, oh, well, that, that's exactly what we want. Yeah. And, and so it's that octopus, which at times can really prove to be a burden to you, but at other times can be an absolute comfort. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. like a warm blanket holding you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Then the question is, if you've got an octopus there, you know, and, and that's your anxiety, how do you relate to it? It's a thing that, yeah. that is there with you. You can't dispense with it because, you know, during your childhood, for example, you know, it was fundamental to your feeling safe and, and being able to look after yourself because you were, you know, you watchful, you were hypervigilant around, yeah. for example, inconsistent parenting. And, um, uh, and, and so you developed this, this, um, this watchfulness, this, this, and that watchfulness then became anxiety. Now, if that's fundamental, that's a, a straight, uh, a trait or, a, or a, a habitual form of behavior, to suddenly say, well, just get rid of it. You can't get rid of it because that's fundamental to who you are. It's become so part of you. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. It becomes part of you. So then, but you still can choose on how you relate to it. Yeah. Um, and that's, and, but that's where animation really, you know, wins because you, if you had to do that with video, well, I don't know how you would do it. I mean, you can't actually build an animatronic octopus. It would cost a bloody fortune to start. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what you're saying there is, um, is so right about people identifying and then not being able to disassociate or, or remove themselves from certain things like mental illness, alcohol, drugs, is once it becomes part of you, it's almost like you're giving up part of your life to go mm. forward. And that can be quite hard on people to actually imagine what their life would be like through the other side of that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's that's a large part of it. If you um, and the statistics around anxiety, for example, I mean, twenty percent of people who identify as being alcoholic, anxiety was where that started, and so you have anxiety. You use alcohol as a coping mechanism. The tail starts wagging the dog. Um, it, it, the the periods of time differ, but um, eventually, the the alcohol itself 
um, becomes a go-to. Uh, and the withdrawals from the alcohol, for example, there's lots and lots and lots of routes into alcoholism, but, but the withdrawals from the alcohol mean you want to have another drink. It's the quickest way to, to relieve yourself of the effects of the alcohol. And, and it's um, almost like making yourself feel better. You know if you have that drink, all those problems are going to go away, but you yeah. want to stay off the drink. Oh. I mean, look, I had a girlfriend uh, probably in my mid-20s who had undiagnosed obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, and yeah. I never realised why she drank so much. And part of the reason I gave up drink was because I was in a relationship with her and I would see how drunk she got. And then it was only when she went to see a new psychiatrist who diagnosed her and gave her some medication, and it was a completely different person. But she was yeah. drinking because she didn't know how to handle the way she was. And yeah. you're so right, a lot of people who do drugs and alcohol, they're doing it because they either have a mental illness like anxiety, depression, some bipolar, some schizophrenia, and it numbs down that actual mental illness so that they can cope yeah. with what's going on. And if it you does. were to say to some of those people, we're going to remove that they're going to go yeah. well why that's actually what's helping me yeah yeah exactly and that that's part of the problem because because in in the in when you go to see a a, a doctor for example they'll say well we have to address the anxiety before we take away the alcohol well then if you go and see a, a therapist they'll say well you have to take away the alcohol before we can deal with the anxiety so you sort of fall in between yeah, the two. yeah. And, and that's something that you have to deal with every case on its own merits. But but that's exactly it, because alcohol does work. It 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 it, uh, it alternates the glutamate and the and the um, and the GABA uh, neurotransmitters. And, and it does it very, very well. I mean, it works. But the problem with it is, is it works so well, it becomes a crutch. And then it then you get into other problems with it as well. I mean, not least of which is 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 it, it does reduce the, your ability to think straight because it damages the prefrontal yeah. cortex. So, so then, when, when do you think you actually realised you had a problem with alcohol? Oh God, Dan. I mean, uh, I probably I probably realised that I was overdoing it um, a good a good uh, five or six years before I stopped. I mean, there was there were so many sort of rock bottoms. I mean, I was very fortunate in that, uh, you know, I I didn't I didn't you know lose my job because obviously I was I was running the company. I didn't lose my license. I, my marriage stayed intact. Um, um, I I I I did get into some some problems myself with with you know obviously with blackouts and with you know just incidents, stupid things, and my. And I went to AA on on several occasions, but I when I went into AA, um, I would hear people sharing about how they flipped their car or lost their jobs or or, or got involved in, in in domestic violence, for example. And I thought, well, I've never done any of that. I went straight back to the off license, and off we go again for another six months. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but there was a there was a. I would eventually. I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. You know? Eventually, I just thought. I can continue going down this route, but I I don't know nothing's going to change. You know, if you if you just keep repeating the same old habits, expecting a change is never going to happen. That's the definition of madness. So I just thought, well, I'll just try it. You know, we'll try it for a month, and then that month became two, and then and then I thought, hang on a second, this is this is the way forward here. Yeah. I don't need I don't need alcohol in my life. You know, I don't need it. Doesn't help me function. I, it it in on the 
the opportunity cost of doing alcohol is I'm not doing things which I would rather do, yeah. you know, like be a parent, you know, and show up for that, like, like get involved in sport, which I, I still enjoy, um, you know, like being a better employer, like being a better boss, you know, like being a better, you know, producer. And and lots of the things that I thought I couldn't do without alcohol, you know, go to a client meeting, get on a plane, you know, I could do. And um, and and then there was a sense of pride that came with that. And um, gradually, very gradually uh, and still to this day, you know, there there are there are new frontiers, which I think, oh, I've done that. And I couldn't have done that without booze or, or, or the outcome of that was. You know, and booze does just doesn't play the part that it did in my life. Having something like that, I, I think, um, and it goes back to what I was saying before. It, it's working out how your life will be once you remove something from your life. Yeah. And yeah. before we spoke on here, I, I told you about a guy who came on a couple of years ago who was a young alcoholic, and he said that he could never imagine his life without alcohol. And it was yeah. really hard for him to actually turn it around and go, okay, I actually need to stop to see what it's like. And, yeah. and it's all about the change and how you can change and what possibilities you can see on the other side. I mean, you being a psychotherapist, you'd know we talk about like the miracle outcome and, uh, you know, like if you woke up tomorrow and something bad that's happening in your life wasn't happening anymore, how would you feel? Uh, what would you do differently? What are, what are the outcomes from that? So mm. as a psychologist, psychotherapist, uh, we look at those sort of things to give people the option of thinking through that. However, yeah. I think with alcohol and drugs, if you're still having a drink or still doing the drugs, it's a lot harder to think your way to a more positive future because your brain is already a little bit addled with whatever yeah. you're using. So, yeah. you know, it's easier, as you say, to have a drink and go, oh, well, I'll think about that tomorrow. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, I mean, you're, you're addled, you know, you're either hungover or you're pissed. You know, yeah. you're, you're one of the two. And that's a that's 24, 7, seven days a week, you know, et cetera. And you can't think st straight. Uh, and uh, and so you 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 those those other avenues, those other possibilities are foreclosed to you. And it doesn't matter what. And, and also, don't forget, this is socially sanctioned. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's legal and it's relatively cheap. And um, and I'm surrounding myself with people who are in the same state, same frame of mind. Yeah. So you know you're you're enabled and 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 you know it's a great place to be. You know I'm 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 I identified as somebody who is a heavy drinker, a functioning alcoholic, who you know was was still moderately successful at what he did, and and uh, and was surrounding myself with creative people who also did what I did. Um, uh, and and so putting down the drink meant actually you know questioning everything you know your your, your social life your your key fundamentals to, to how you were living it's very difficult to do. and I guess also some of the relationships that you have because you would have a few friends maybe work colleagues who after work you would go out and have a few drinks with Definitely. and socialize with and when you all of a sudden say I'm not drinking anymore that changes yeah. that dynamic because for one, they're going to think, well, I've lost my friend that I drank with, and yeah. why is he stopping drinking? Should I stop yeah. drinking? So there's yeah. a lot of questions that come out of it when one person decides they want to be different to the other people. Yeah, definitely, absolutely, because, yeah, you're you're forcing the other person to, to think about what they're doing. I mean, you know, my wife, you know, for example, all the way through to to, to work colleagues and, and uh, 
and they they all are then forced to think oh maybe i'm drinking too much and it, it puts that problem up there then the next thing you've got is oh okay well now i'm now do i identify as an alcoholic and and what sort of who knows that information because it's anonymous right alcoholics yeah. anonymous so um do I, how how anonymous should i be um which is the next question because if you identify as somebody who had a drink problem well then you've well then is it a disease is it a choice and you get into that and then that's a whole other kind of uh, yeah i hadn't thought of that you know yeah is it a choice is it a disease um look and i think those two uh things that you just said there is it a choice is it a disease it would affect different people in different ways. Some people, it would become a disease and like you, you were able to stop. So maybe it's not a disease, but you just realise, look, I'm just doing too much of this and I need to look at something different, a different way of life. And that's yeah. lucky for you that you were able to do that and you weren't in the other category. Yeah, yeah, I, yes, I think I think so. I mean, there's, I mean, on, on the disease choice debate, I... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's still a there's, that's that's raging at the moment. I mean, to what extent it is a disease and you have no choice, and to what extent it's a choice is is uh, is is a really tricky one to pick apart. But um, and I guess it goes back to the first question of when you have your first drink, was that mm. a choice because you hadn't mm. drunk before? So mm. was it a disease or was it your choice to have that first drink? And look, I had a discussion with someone a couple of weeks ago about they used to go to parties and never fitted in, never felt great, never wanted to talk to anyone. Then when they had a couple of drinks inside them, they were actually a bit more happier and they could talk to people and socialise. And when they went back to work on the Monday, people were like, oh, you were so great on the weekend. We didn't know you were yeah. like that. So then yeah, they carried yeah. on drinking until they realised actually it's now a problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can create, uh, I mean, to an extent, we all create a persona, a public yeah. facing version of ourselves that we think is going to be acceptable and attractive to other people. And alcohol helps with the scaffolding, all of, all of that. Take away the scaffolding. Oh, hang on. I have to be me. Well, then you're back into, well, am I going to be light? Am I going to be thought of as funny? Am I going to be entertaining or, or interesting? I don't know. And it's then all those self-limiting beliefs, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a real uh, cat's cradle of different of different things, um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I and, think it's like uh, the devil and the angel on your on your shoulders. You know, the angel saying, "No, you'll be fine. You'll be fine," and the devil's going, "No, have a little drink. You'll feel a lot better here." Um, yeah. And, you know, as we said before, nine times out of 10, it would be the easiest solution to just have a drink and then start talking. But then you know that that drink then leads to another and another and another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and, and you know, the, the process of, of not drink. I didn't just wake up one morning and think, oh, I'm not going to drink. And there's a number of times where you you the games that the games that I played as an alcoholic, you know, limiting the number of drinks, limiting the types of drinks, limiting the times of the day when you could start drinking. And when that went on for five years more, where where I was trying to trying to control it, but there was no controlling it because you know if I said, well, I'm just I remember once saying, well, I'm just going to drink gin, I'm yeah. just ju just gin, that's it. All I'm going to drink is gin. And I remember doing a bottle of gin and then going to a to a pump class or something at the gym. It's like Jesus oh my Christ. God. Yeah. This did not work. You know, this absolutely is not working here. Or I'm only going to, you know, drink at six o'clock. Well, good luck with that. You know, when the sun's out and you, you know, the 
there's a there's a client lunch or something and you buy a river and and then the client's gonna say well well why aren't you drinking because they want to drink right yeah. and it's a client for christ's sake well you can't make them feel uncomfortable yeah, yeah, yeah. which is another excuse to you know it's was endless. it was it in one of your animations where it showed that it becomes a routine and you get used to, well, I have to get this and then I'll feel better. And then uh, this is the time I do this or, you know, was that in one of your animations? Well, well I think, I mean, I think what you're alluding to there is the, um, the idea that, that it's the anticipation of the drink is a big part of the drink. You know, the anticipation, you know, and, and dopamine plays a part in this, but, but the, the, the expectation that I will feel better when I have a glass of red or, or a pint of lager is the same as if I'm going to do a line of cocaine or if I'm going to go and put a white ball on a roulette wheel, or if I'm going to go and, you know, uh, say hello to that, that girl over there at the bar, you know, there's a, there is the anticipation of it, which is in the waft and weave of, of of the alcoholic sort of carousel um and um that's exciting you know and, and, and it's and it's stimulating and it's it's fun and then the, the idea is well if i don't have that then my life's going to be boring and it's going to be drab and there's not and you know that's just the, the, the part of where your head your head goes to it yeah. becomes very difficult to, to 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 slam the brakes on and to get off that treadmill so now that you're not drinking anymore, I think it's eight years you've been without a drink. How do yeah. you think your life has changed in the more positive way to when you were drinking? Oh, Im- immeasurably, immeasurably. Um, the uh, I mean, to to sort of trot through it. Well, one of the one of the the uh, the big things that happened with me was was from a from a business point of view. I I uh, I. I really pushed the animation i really saw what animation could do and i really pushed that i don't think i was i mean i was just honestly i was just dialing in work at the end there you know i mean i was i was i was on the on the source a lot of the time and and i wasn't really fully functioning as in any capacity either as a as a as a director producer or as a as a company uh owner um i i didn't uh i wasn't i was doing 30% 30% of what I should have been doing. Yeah. Um, and so when I actually showed up, I was, I was much more engaged in the company and, and that led to animation uh, really, really kicking off as a, as a, as something that we offered and that really turbocharged the company. I mean, just that one thing, yeah. um, you know, turned the company from us working in a, in a, in a, in a small office in, in, in Adelston near Weybridge to being a, a global, you know, multinational company. I mean, that, that really goes back to almost when I started, when I stopped drinking eight years ago. Yeah. Um, so that's so that's one thing. Personally, um, I I am um, I I feel like I've done a pretty good job of being a father. Uh, you know, being there for the kids, for my daughter and son uh, during their teenage years. Um, and I know, f- f- damn for sure, that I I wouldn't have been there in the way that I have been. Um, uh, just just practically. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult, you know, raising, uh, kids to be, a you know, res- res- responsible, uh, parent for them and, and to, to, to toe the line, to be a sort of straight edge against which they can measure themselves. If I was drinking, it just would have been a mess, an yeah. absolute mess. Um, and then, but can and I then just toast- ask you then? So, mm. you know, I mean, you grew up with your dad, who was an alcoholic who drank quite a bit. Do you think that somewhere in your psyche, uh, you thought that it was just acceptable because that's what you'd been modelled when you were growing up. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think that um, the uh, I mean, there's 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 lots lots and lots and lots of evidence to show that the the male sons of alcoholics, and I, I'm not sure about the the females, but um, have a predisposition towards alcohol. I I think um, I don't I don't know honestly, Dan. I don't know what part my father played in that, or whether my father's genes played in that, but um, but I think um, it, it, I, I, I did become uh, alcoholic. And the problem with it is that when you stop drinking, and this is where AA really comes into its own, when you stop drinking, you find out why you drunk in the first place. Yeah. Right. When you put the bottle down, that's when you actually have to come face to face with why you drank in the first place. And, and those are the things which you have to address. And so, um, and that's why a, a room full of like-minded people um, really come into their own. There's something about, I mean, I'm a, quite a big fan of AA and I just want to put a caveat on that because there's no, there's lots and lots and lots of different AA groups. My personal group is much more sort of humanistic. I know AA can be very, very um, uh, um, God bothering for want of a yeah. better expression, you know, um, and I've been to AA groups all over the world. I've seen a lot of different groups, but well, um, I guess if someone is struggling with alcohol, like you were, um, if they go to an AA meeting and it's not the fit for them, it doesn't mean that another one in the next suburb is going to be the same. So actually yeah. go and try a few because you'll find one that fits. Yeah, I think I'm absolutely. Yeah. The, I think, um, the word higher power is used a lot in AA, obviously. And by that, uh, I think that certainly the founders, Bill W and meant God as, as, um, as we understand him as sort of Christian sort of Judeo, Judeo sort of Islamic way, that sort of omniscient, omnipotent being that, that uh, the sort of the ET in the sky that uh, you have to sort of <laughs> you know, bow down to. Um, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. Um, I think higher power could be, I mean, let's take the word God, you know, if you made that an acronym of G O D, just make it a group of drunks or the great outdoors or, um, you know, general orderly direction. It's a higher power which you can you can hook into, and and use that as a force for good in your own life. And I subscribe to that, and that's helped me a lot in dealing with, you know, some of the issues I had when when I stopped drinking. Um, you know, around around anxiety and and self confidence and self worth, validation, those sorts of things, which yeah. um, which which I needed to address and could address because there was a general orderly direction. You know, you can acquire the knowledge around it and, and you can talk to people about it. And pretty soon you realize that you're not the only one in that boat, that you're actually one of thousands of people who feel the same way. And, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection, I believe. And if you reach out to those people and they there's a, a reciprocal relationship starts happening and pretty soon you, you know, what the hell was I doing drinking? You know, what, what on earth was that all about? Yeah. You know, because uh, you know, it's really is is just a, a part of my life. That clap chapter is is closed, and I've moved on. Um, and and my life is richer and more nourishing for it. Because you said earlier that you say that you are an alcoholic, even though you're not drinking anymore. Do you still need yeah. to have that label associated with yourself if you're yeah. no longer drinking? Yeah, there's something about it. You know, there is something about it. There's a song um, which I murder on my guitar um, <laughs> called "The Beast in Me" by um, by uh, Johnny Cash, 
which for me is the, is the song, the definitive song on alcoholism. Um, and uh, the, one of the lines is, sometimes it likes to fool me that it really isn't there. And sometimes it tries to kid me that it's just a teddy bear. You know, there are some times when it can just be a normal day and a normal situation. And like a day like today, I could go along the river and there could be people drinking by the river. And I just think, do you know what would be a really good idea, Quint, is just to sit down there and have like 10 pints of lager and just reflect on things and think, where the hell did that thought come from? You know, what am I thinking? Suddenly it can become a really attractive option. And it's really strange, Dan, how that is lurking. It's an artifact that is somewhere in my psyche that sometimes it can get, and I hate this word triggered, but it can get triggered. And suddenly you think, oh, yeah. It's almost always positive now. It's almost always I could amplify and I could I could make this moment really, really count by having a drink. It's not Christ, I feel depressed or God, that was upsetting. I think I'm going to have a drink. It's much more on the sort of the positive. I'm really going to make this work now because I'm going to have a. a Is that, though, just an intrusive thought? Because we all get intrusive thoughts, stupid things like I wonder if I drive my car into the traffic, what will happen? You know, but we're never going to do it. But I can see where you're going, that you have this thought, an intrusive thought, and then you actually start to rationalise it in a small way. You know, so I guess, yeah, yeah, you've answered the question that, yes, you are an alcoholic and you need to realise that it's something that you can never go back to. Well, that was my that was my behaviour of choice for for, you know, 30, 40 years. You know, that um, it's not going to that habitual state, that trait that that go to is going to be there. It's it's always going to be around somewhere. But that's the first thought. The second thought is, what on earth are you thinking? Where did yeah. that thought come from? You know, it's almost funny that I would think that. It's not taken on board as a, as a serious option ever. If anything, the, the, you know, it, it's, it's scary, you know, that, 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 uh, that um, having a, you know, some alcohol would, would just really, you know, doesn't interest me. And I, it's something that I would, I would find sort of quite threatening, really. Nevertheless, it's still it's still there. It does bubble up sometimes. And, you know, in AA, you hear it, people talking about it, you know, God, why did I suddenly think that, you know? And, uh, and you know, old timers, you know, the, the sort of people who've been around for 16, you know, or so, so years more, you know, I'm still a beginner at eight years, sometimes I feel. Not that it's about the length of time, I have to stress, you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate that. I hate that in AA where you have people saying, oh, I've been sober, and especially on Instagram, you get that a lot. I've been sober for six months. Well, good for you, you know. Yeah, Try, yeah. Come back in six years, come back in 10 years, 15 years, because it's not, it's a day at a time, you know, and you can make a millstone out of a milestone. You can be there saying, well, I've done eight years, but, oh, you know, that guy's done 16, or that girl's done 16, and you know, what have I learned? It's a day at a time. You know, the alcoholic that gets up earliest in the morning is the one that's been sober for the longest. That's Look, it. I, I would think as well, if you were in a room full of people saying, I've been 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and you've only been six months, you might think, well, I'll just go and have a yeah. drink because yeah. I'll never get to them, you know? Yeah. So it's almost, yeah. um, what is it? It's a bit um, uh, overpowering, uh, like, you know, it, it's a too big a step from where you are to where they've got to. And you might go, well, why am I bothering? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, you're yeah, lucky but- as well that you stopped when you did, cause you're still at a young age. Whereas, Thank you know, you. some old timers in their seventies, eighties who are trying to quit, you know, that must be really hard when they've done it for 50 years. Yeah, and that 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 is that cohort of of at least in the UK, those are now the problem drinkers because the kids aren't picking it up as much as they were. 
unfortunately they're probably going more into sort of marijuana and and but it's the middle-aged drinkers drinking their shabli and and they're having their tipples and they're doing you know you know a bottle and a half two bottles every night and and they're the ones who are getting into problems with it now um it's the younger generation that seems to be slightly anyway it's slightly easing but um but yeah it can be intimidating to to have people um who have been sober for years and years and years and then you think oh well and then, then they come out with something like, and I really fancy to drink. And you think, well, I'm never actually going to get this monkey off my back. Uh, no, it's, and I'm sure any old timer would tell you, look, it's a day at a time. It's just today. Keep it in the day. And I guess you know? it's learning to live with your monkey and keep your monkey under control. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's when you put down the drink, then what comes up and whatever that is, that's what you have to address. And it is never as bad as you think it is it is it's always been this thing you've pushed away pushed away pushed away and it's become this it's turned into this massive ogre of of the problem and then all of the other problems which are spinning off of that and if you put the bottle down turn around face it suddenly you realize you know it's 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 not that big a deal you know it's it's something that is certainly manageable once you get over you know the, the the withdrawals of the alcohol and and you you have a you know, a few days behind you sober and you can think clearly, it's like, Christ, what on earth was I worrying about? You know, what, what was that? And, and, and look, I think running- it's really admirable of you because you said earlier, you know, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, how anonymous do I want to be? But for you to come out and talk about it will help lots of people even yeah. contemplate giving up, whereas before they probably hadn't even thought about it. So to hear that you're successful now, uh, I mean, you were successful before as well, but, you know, that you were able to give up, that you were able to change your life around, have more time with your family. There's so many little bits and pieces in there that offer promise and offer opportunity. uh, Opportunity, uh, yes, that that you can change and you can see a difference and you can be somewhere else. Um, mm. And that's great. Now, you know, I salute. I don't salute, but uh, you know, <laughs> if you well were to done, salute, you'd be well, saluting. <laughs> well, well done to you for for doing that and to speak about it because it does help other people. Yeah, there is a real stigma attached to alcohol, right? Which, when you think of since Bill W. wrote the Bill the Big Book back in the '30s, you know, alcohol is still so stigmatized. We had a show in in the UK uh, on Mental Health Week last year where celebrities would put on a post-it note on their forehead what their mental health problem was. And you had them all. You had depression. You had OCD. You had, you know, nobody put up alcoholic. Nobody. Why? Because it's a stigma still. You can be, you can be, you can come out with any number of of, of mental health issues, but alcohol still got that kind of thing around it. And even when I used to work, then this was funny. When I used to work at Turning Point, you know, the alcoholics and the drug addicts would keep themselves separate. The alcoholics would look down on the drug addicts because yeah, the alcoholics yeah. thought they were doing something that was socially sanctioned. It was the drug addicts were doing something illicit. But as a society as a whole, everybody looks at an alcoholic like, can are they trustworthy? Are they going to steal something? You know, are they going to be okay? To, what are they going to be like tomorrow? You know, are they going to have a relapse? It's really strange. And if you talk to people in Certainly, certainly employees are very reticent about saying to their employer that they have a problem with alcohol. But I think Uh, you answered it just then and earlier as well, because it's a socially acceptable thing to do to drink. So mm. if 
people talk about alcoholism and people being alcoholics, it reflects the mirror back on them and they might be the one that has two or three drinks a night, which no, not an alcoholic, but they have two or three drinks. Is that too much? Is that not enough? You know, so everybody then has to look at themselves and go, am I the same? You know, yeah. and I think that's a really big thing because so many, look, I, as I said, I don't drink, but I know lots of people who do. They have one or two, and it wouldn't be every night. It'd be if they were going out or something. But everybody, when they hear the word alcoholism, alcoholic, they go, oh, you know, they don't want that flashed up at them and to have to look inside and go, am I one of those? Because I do drink a bit. There's loads of people out there who'll go out on a Friday, Saturday night and drink themselves so stupid that they can't walk. And, yeah. and they may be the ones as well, the binge drinkers who then go, oh, I just heard about an alcoholic and maybe that's me. We don't, society doesn't want to reflect back at the mirror, do they? They want to just go, you know, with a mental illness, if, if someone they know has got bipolar, they go, oh, that's really bad, but I don't have that. Whereas alcohol, yeah. lots of people drink it. It's endemic in society and it's historically, it's always been with us, you know, since, uh, I mean, there's a fantastic book by Carl Eric Fisher called uh, The Urge, which uh, was only published in the UK, I think about six weeks ago, it came out in the US uh, about uh, two or three months ago, which was the history of alcoholism. And he, he takes the, he goes back to the 1700s and things like the, the gin craze, you know, mother's ruin, and, yeah. and looks at how how alcohol was 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 used then and then can compare it to for example crack cocaine in the 1980s and and how getting off your head is 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 part of the human condition yeah right and and so if you're going to address alcoholism you're going to have to address the very fundamentals of what makes us human in the first place because how are you going to pick apart one from the other yeah. What we want to do is have fun. What we want to do physiologically is get to that sugar, get to that ethanol because it makes us happy because it has that that response. It reduces the cortisol, it increases the dopamine. It's you know, and and why not do it if you can do it and it's socially sanctioned and it's relatively inexpensive? Go for it. Well, yeah. hang on a second. You got a problem there because if you you know, for obvious reasons, you know, if you keep going for it, it's the, the tail's going to start wagging the dog yeah. and you're likely to find yourself in, in, in problems with relationships, with the law, with, with your employer and, and, and everything else. But think that's why things like prohibition doesn't work because you, 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 well, it doesn't seem to work anyway, because you stop it. And then people just, you know, it just goes underground. You've got the yeah. same problem, but now it's illegal. And then you're well, I mean, it's proven, isn't it, with, with drug abuse, is that drugs aren't legal, but so many people are buying them and selling them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you never get rid of anything. And, and you know, it, it's like smoking as well. Smoking has got so expensive um, yeah. and they're trying to stop younger people taking up the habit, but then kids want to try it. And, you know, it's just a circle that is really hard to stop. And when things are legal, it makes it acceptable, but then with drugs that aren't uh, legal, then people have almost got that uh, want and need to try them because it's like taboo. It's like, oh, you shouldn't do that. And it's yeah. like, well, why yeah. not? Let's have a go. Let's see what it's like. Yeah. yeah, I know. With two teenage kids, I mean, that that really does keep me awake at night. And um, look, we're human beings. We're apes. We're curious. We want to we wanna get high. We want to... We wanna explore we want to have fun 
And if it's illicit, well, you know, let's let's it's almost that sort of transgression becomes even more exciting because yeah, it's yeah. illicit, you yeah. know. Um, and if there's you know, throw in peer pressure into that, and away you go. Yeah. Um, uh, so so that's when uh, you know that's why again I feel like I'm promoting this book now that by by Carl Eric Fisher the urge um, he goes into not just the personal consequences of addiction but also how politically and socially you have to try and deal with it. I mean, so you're like we said at the top of the conversation, you know, the the, the government in this country is taking 16 billion in tax off of the drinks company, but it's costing thir- north of 30 billion in terms of the damage to society. Yeah. Well, that's a political um, uh, problem, which has got severe social consequences. Well, then you're going to have to frame your drink and drug policy around that, taking it into consideration. David Cameron, who was, who was our prime minister back in 2010, physically shifted uh, the onus of, of, of being an alcoholic from being a disease to it being a choice. And that's when we got uh, care in the community. Ha, ha, ha. So care in the community basically means you got A&E and you got prison for people who are really suffering with alcohol. And then the drinks companies, well, they got slapped on their wrists and they got told to put drink responsibly on the side of a bottle of booze. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and the drinks companies were involved in those decisions. How would you, what? It's just insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And look, as you say, with prisons, I mean, I think at the moment it's around 60% of people in prison are either in because they are addicted to drugs or alcohol or the crime that they committed had yeah. some influence of drugs or alcohol in it. Um, And so to just be putting them in prison, it's like prison wardens are going, look, you know, we were here to look after the people who murdered people. And now we're actually babysitting people who have got a drug or alcohol problem where they should be going into a facility that's specifically for them. But then the facilities are like I know here a friend of mine probably 10 years ago went into one for three months. It cost his mother-in-law $30,000 for three months stay. Now, I would say there would probably be about 5-10% of the population that could afford to spend that out on their child. Not everyone has got that sort of money. And the ones that are free, you know, the waiting lists are 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Well, same thing over here. We've got, we're we're what the Royal College of Psychiatrists called the, the second pandemic. Uh, which is so COVID's over in inverted commas, um, but we have a double digit increase in anger, in in domestic violence, in stress, in addiction. All of the all of the big ones are just rife now, and there is the, the NHS is totally overwhelmed. CAMS, which is the, the the NHS department which deals with children and young adults, is snowed. You you've got you know six months before you can see somebody, then a two year waiting list before you actually get admitted for treatment. And it's just utterly unacceptable. Yeah, look, Quinn, I agree with what you're saying because, you know, it's the same over here in Australia. The wait lists for mental health, if you're not paying privately, are just astronomical. So, you know, but look, I really want to thank you for what you've come on and talked about because, look, I was was over the moon when you, you sent me your your bio this morning and I learned that your aunt and uncle were into uh, uh, Jungian psychotherapy and that you were a psychotherapist and that your dad was the Waldorf salad man on Fulton Towers, (laughs) you know, and and just what you've achieved. Like, as I said, I've watched your, is it six or eight videos I watched? Uh, Six videos, yeah. Brilliant. They really, they were really good because I love anything that has a new way of helping people to uh, look at their mental health 
or yeah. pass on information about mental health and you doing the animations with the uh, mental health uh, dialogue in it with the voiceover guy is just brilliant. It's something different that we haven't seen or I, don't, I haven't seen. And I think that sort of stuff needs to be shared more and more so that people can look at them and go, actually, you know, this is me or I've been through that or, you know. So you might have people who want to contact you who are animators or people who have a mental health story that they want to tell you that then you could convert into a into an animation you know so where do they contact you well um yeah no thank, thanks dan um no it's been really great being on this um essentially what i'd like to do is get the animations that i've produced um out there they're all free of charge if anybody wants a copy of any of the animations just don't hesitate to get in touch um i'm on uh, i personally am on at quint boa uh, on instagram um, my company is uh, www.shootyou.com um, if there are any animators out there um, who, who, who are interested. And um, yes, if anybody wants to get in touch, uh, you know, please do. And, um, and uh, we can sort of take it from there. All right. Beautiful. Look, it was really good to meet you, Quint. We have been trying, I think, for a few months to tease something up. It's been a really interesting conversation. I've really enjoyed hearing about your life, hearing about your struggles with alcohol and in changing those things around, that your business is doing so well and you're winning awards for your animations. I mean, as I said, <laughs> yeah. your animations are beautiful, really beautiful. So thank, thank you, you so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Dan, for, for meeting you and for, for a great conversation. It's been really interesting talking to you and um, yeah, really look forward to, to working with you in the future. I'm sure we will possible. do, no problems. Yeah. All right, thank you. Thanks, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other, and thanks for listening. Listening.